Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. Sorry, we're in person, so I get a little bit slow because I have to actually look at Hank with all of his meat bags. It's a um, podcast, a comedy podcast, where two brothers give you dubious advice, bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon, and answer your questions. Hank couldn't do that part because he was on Twitter. I can tell from his face no, that was he was... looking up a dad joke. Oh, I have a dad joke. Oh, you do? Yeah, because my father-in-law's been here for the last week, so I've got nothing but dad jokes. He's the master of the form. This morning, we were watching Newcastle versus Arsenal, and he said, does Newcastle have, like, a, a nickname... And I said, I believe that they're known as the Magpies. And after a moment, my father-in-law said, what a foul nickname. Wow. I know. Oh, boy. He's got them by the boatload. Uh, he's better He's better at this than I am because I had nothing. The audio is going to be a little better today because we're not in the shed. Here's what I need to talk to you about. Okay. It was a titmouse. It was a chickadee. <laughs> it was a titmouse. I know what titmouses look like, and I know... I saw one of your chickadees today, and they're tiny little, cute little chickadees, even smaller than the Montana ones. It was a titmouse. Respe- it had a gray crest. Respectfully, I know what my birds look like, and it looked like this because it is a chickadee. That looks now, like a chickadee. Now you may be confusing, Hank. You may be you may be a little confused because there are two basic chickadee looks. Yeah. Okay? There's also this sort of chickadee look and maybe you thought that this was a titmouse, but it's no, a chickadee. That's a chickadee. Okay, great. Well, I'm it glad had a you gray agree- crest. It had yes. feathers yes. poking up from the back of its head. Indeed, because it was this very chickadee. It did not have like a crown, like a roost. We're not even going to, we're not talking about this. I refuse to engage with you on an audio podcast about a visual experience that we had. I will not engage. Okay. I did want to ask you a question though. Uh huh. I want to talk to you about committing to the bit. Now, this is something that Hank and I talk about a lot in private. I've thought about making a Vlogbrothers video about it actually, mm-hmm. because I think that committing to the bit mm-hmm. is one of the great skills and talents that is inadequately talked about in our education system. Is this like for a content creator or any kind of human? 
no matter what you are doing, the quality of your commitment may be more important than the quality of the bit. Oh, yeah. So, like, for example, there's a player in World of Warcraft who, for the last 17 years, Mm -hmm. has leveled up all the way to the top level only by picking flowers, never by engaging in combat. Uh That is not a great bit. But the quality of the commitment to the bit makes it transcendent. Yeah, I think that there is a lot to be said for the, and and also I feel as if I don't do it enough. Yeah. Now I do do it. No, you do not commit to the bit. And this is a, you know, we commit to the bit together. Now sometimes Hank, so just so you know, there are moments in our relationship where and we don't like to do this formally where we have to sort of check each other a little bit mm-hmm. and encourage certain habits and maybe discourage others, yeah. bring out the best in each other, uh-huh. become more aware of our weaknesses. Uh-huh. And I want to take this opportunity to say, first off, lean in before you lean out. I adore you. I think you're amazing. I feel like you used to commit to the bit a little harder in the I'm going to spend 15 hours inside of a target days. Yeah. Then you commit to the bit right now. Well, look, I have other commitments I have to commit to. I know. And I feel like you're prioritizing family and being the CEO of Complexly <laughs> and other things that I, I'm not going to say they aren't important. I'm going to say that I'm concerned that it's harming your ability to commit to the bit. It has been about a year since we... Completely unintentionally, and and uh, and in no way was this was this something that we worked hard to do. Named every single Vlog Brothers video, every line of Smash Mouth's All Star, not in order, but all of them. And that is a great example of a low quality bit, yeah, with high quality commitment. I mean, titles on YouTube matter so much. Not a, not, not in that year they didn't. Yeah, uh, we were like, I think no. Yeah, and to be fair, I think on the other side of that, we did we lost some audience, I think but it we was lost, yeah. it was audience we were okay with losing. The, they were the ones we we made a didn't choice. Commit to the bit. Yeah, they they weren't they weren't ready to go all the way there with us. <laughs> but the reason I've been thinking about this is because you and I are sitting here in Indianapolis, and we got a, we our families are here. Our pa- it's great to see our parents. You know, Oren doesn't get to spend enough time with his grandparents, especially during COVID, and mm-hmm. so I. I I don't want to say it's been anything other than an awesome trip. It's been amazing. I love seeing our kids together. We watched a great movie last night. It's been a great trip. I, I'm concerned that you and I, for the past five days, have been together, mm-hmm. both quietly knowing, not speaking about, but both quietly knowing that we are three hours away by car from one of the last remaining Rack's restaurants. Oh. It's in Centerville, Ohio. It's the it's probably our last chance to eat a Rack's roast beef sandwich. Because you think the Centerville Rack's is going to close? I'm concerned about how it's going to make it through the pandemic. Yeah, of course. <laughs> there, there were like 1,400 Rack's 30 years ago, and now there are four. I am concerned about yeah. outside of Finland. I'm concerned <laughs> uh, about that trajectory. And it's it's three hours to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And three hours back from it. Well, sure, unless we decide to move to Centerville. That's a real commitment that to the be, bit. Well, how else would you go to Rax every day? <laughs> We'd have to go to Rax at like seven and get back at like three. You mean like seven AM? No. You 7 mean seven PM. Oh, oh, oh we oh. can't 
When does the racks close? Your proposal would be Um, that we do all the kind of family stuff all day. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, hey, guys, we're just going to go out for a gallon of milk. (laughs) And we do come back. It's not like the cliche of the abandoning father, but we Uh do come back. It's just we come back. John and I want to go for a drive. Three o'clock in the morning. We have a lot to talk about. With tummy aches. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, no, it wouldn't be three. It would be one. Yeah, but we when does be, the racks in Centerville close? We could be back by 1 a.m., man. I, I stay up till 1 sometimes. It's not even an unreasonable bedtime. I mean, it, it didn't used to be an unreasonable bedtime for uh, me. I mean, it's when I would like to be going to bed. Really? I never. I always want to go to bed at 9. <laughs> no, uh, that's that says it's, it's auto-corrected to tax. It's open till no, 9. No, I don't want tax. I it, want racks. It's open till 9. So we'd have to leave at... Like 5.30. I mean, the irony is that there are three Raxes. It did it again! Sorry, don't yell that. It's very loud. Uh, The irony is that there are three Raxes that are relatively near Indianapolis, but they're all equidistant. Mm. You know, like they're all about the same distance. If there was one that was like in a city, I would propose that we just fly there and eat at the racks. No, that, that, but there well, isn't really a good airport near any of these places. Rax roast beef. Wait, what is this one in oh, Huntington, West one. Virginia? Oh, this one says closed. Did this one recently close? Oh, the one in Indiana. Yeah, it's closed, man. Oh, no. I know. we could. That would have been easy. Oh, we really could have gone. It's only an hour away. really could have gone. I know. So anyway, I'm just concerned about our committing to the bit. And it's not just you. I feel like I also have been inadequately committed to bits lately. Yeah. And it's just something I feel like our well, listeners- Well, you know who's suffering the most from this? Who? Rax. Oh, I know, I know. And I feel like our listeners, they've come to expect a certain level of committing to the bit from us. And uh-huh. I don't want to, do, I don't like disappointing them. And so I just want to say, we're aware of this issue. We're sorry about it. We're, we're pulled in a lot of directions right now by f- parenthood mm-hmm. and family responsibilities and just behind the scenes life stuff. But, but we, we recognize the issue of not adequately committing to the bit. I'm happy to report, John, that the racks in Indiana closed in 2011. So it's not okay. like we just missed it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Hey, was worried about that. Yeah. There's a pretty good chance that I'm going to have a movie project happening in Ohio. What? And maybe I can convince them to film it entirely in Centerville, Ohio. In racks. <laughs> I am an executive could producer. You, could you write racks into it? I've never really known what, what an you, executive what producer... What movie project are you doing that I don't know about? None of your business. I've never really... <laughs> I've never really known what an executive producer does, but maybe the executive producer does nothing except get on one phone call and say, has anybody considered Centerville, Ohio as a setting? Here's the situation. I'm an investor in Arax. (laughs) My brother and I... This is all I... (laughs) My brother and I have seen the success of Beast Burger, and we have decided... (laughs) And we purchased a single Rax. What we did was we went all in. We pulled out all the partners in health money. Uh, but don't worry, it's going back to it's going back to partners and yeah, health. Yeah, as soon as it all pays off. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like that four way parlay bet in uh, that scary movie about diamonds with Adam Sandler that was so stressful. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's the Sixth Sense. I believe it was called um, Sweaty Palms. <laughs> I did watch that movie. Uncut and it Fear. Was- it was called Career Opportunities. John. That's right. Yes. Adam Sandler's career. By the way, <laughs> I've been thinking since the last episode of the podcast that Career Opportunities, in addition to being a good title for that movie, because uh-huh. like that is kind of what it's about. It's uh-huh. kind of about career opportunities. So many of them missed. Um, career Opportunities is a pretty good name for most movies. Yeah. Like it's not a terrible name for the second Hobbit movie. <laughs> 
the, you know, what are you going to do with your time? Yeah, like the Hobbit. What's your vocation? The Hobbit of Forbidden Journey colon career opportunities. <laughs> I yeah. feel like the movie Citizen Kane might genuinely be better if it was called Career Opportunities. Same movie. People it, would, people just understand it more. Yeah, it's just called yeah. Career Opportunities. Yeah, uh, Reservoir Dogs is a movie career, about career, career opportunities. opportunities. Sure. Yeah, most films. Mm-hmm. Han Solo, he's just trying to figure out what he's gonna do. Solo. What color is Han Solo's parachute? Solo. Colon. Career opportunities. There's no movie it doesn't work for. It's a mess. You could even argue. Another one, and I'm just going to throw this out there, Hank. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Yeah. Oh, a follow-up, like the third one? Yeah. Career Career opportunities. opportunities. (laughs) How is Hollywood missing this? The Pet Detective thing isn't really working out? Yeah. And he's like, I think I'm going to try out being a (laughs) dude. You know, John, I had this idea. I've never pitched it to you. Okay, great. Um, That, By the way, that is an extraordinary statement. I'm shocked because you've had an idea you haven't pitched me. So you know how there are like television shows where like every episode they like make over a different house. Yeah, I want to do a show like that, Mm -hmm. but instead of make over a different house, I start a different business every week. Oh god, for a year, two months. Oh god, and so I just like or or three months, and so I start like twelve businesses. Yeah, and then over the and then like try and get all the stuff together and then and you know, like sort of like what goes into starting a business and then it's just like boom next next thing and then you try to put like a team in place to run the business and they're all like now got their the responsibilities of making making the you know the thing and and and, and succeeding along with it if it succeeds and then over the course of uh the year then you like follow the businesses and see how they do this is my terrible idea that i don't want to do I, I don't think it's a bad idea career opportunities. unfortunately but it's career opportunities is a great name for this <laughs> netflix show the only thing i'd say is that why not bring a little shark tanky element to it where you're supporting somebody else pre-existing businesses uh, rather than like rather than as, making it all about you. It's not as egotistical. I know. Yeah. That's why I like it better. Yeah. Hank Green career opportunities. I think you should be call it it I think it should be called career opportunities with Hank Green. I'm not going to take you out of the title. I just don't want you to front load yourself not into a the bad title. Idea. It's not a bad idea. We should talk to our I don't know anybody at Netflix, but I, I do. I genuinely think it's a good idea, Hank. I think that you should call your friends at Netflix he and never I, thinks it's a good idea, guys. And I think you should say I am inadequately busy <laughs> and I am looking to take something new on so that uh-huh. I can further alienate my relation, my core relationships. Yeah. I think that should be your pick. <laughs> I love the idea. I here's love it. I, here's what I want. I want all of the worst parts. Yeah. Of more. <laughs> I I think actually you should executive produce this show because as the executive producer, that, as the executive producer of several <laughs> movies, I can tell you, uh, uh, unless it comes to like, I think we should have dinner at racks tonight. You don't do anything. Okay, Hank, while we're on the subject of racks, I need to read you this email from Kay. Uh huh. Kay writes Dear John and Hank, first off, your German accents were horrendous. Please never do that again. Kay, I have good news and bad news. What is the good news, John? The good news is that, uh, that this- being said, Hank's Finnish was not the worst I've ever heard. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> German and Finnish accents sound nothing alike. <laughs> How did I do finish so well then? I, I, I was going to say, I have good news and bad news. The good news is I'll never do German accent again. The bad news is this is my Swiss. 
Wait till you hear my Austrian. Oh my God. Ready? Here we go. This is my Austrian. Uh-huh. Lastly, there are indeed Rax restaurants all over Finland, multiple in Helsinki. Oh Welcome. Not to burst your bubble, though. It is possibly the worst pizza I have ever had. Oh, man. Ah. <laughs> That's not... That was like... Uh, the the I was like mm-hmm. from the Mississippi Delta. Yeah. And then the have was... It was... Oh, man. The have was a AI that's been uh, trained to learn German but only by listening to people who are in their first week of Duolingo classes. This, I would be very worried about any messages you get to be a brand ambassador for the salt, for the Salzburg salt mines, because they are taking you down there and leaving you down there. <laughs> this is how it ends for John <laughs> That's how they do it. That's how they get you. They're like, tragic accident. Oh, I just wanted to be your brand ambassador and use my amazing accent and make the people happy. Uh, uh, anyway, what was the question? Uh, there was no question. Oh. I just wanted to go back to doing our German accents. I felt like it had been too long. All right. That's the last time we ever do German accents. But okay. have you heard our French accents? Jean, do you have a question from our listeners? Uh, that was humiliating. Well, it's it, none of it's... Look, if it was good... People yeah. would just think there were strangers talking to them. If it was good, though, we would do it all the time, is the truth. Like, if we had good accents, are you kidding? This would be an accent show. This is all... We would never not do accents. Oh, God. If I could do accents, I would I would be an accent comedian. <laughs> That's a good question. I can't. I don't... I can't find any. Okay, here's one. This first question is from Luke, who writes, Dear John and Hank, why are American English classes so focused on finding the meaning of quotes in books written 100 years ago, even when there is no meaning in them? Why can't we focus on grammar and spelling? Why do they do this in the same question with math? Why is it all on the path to calculus, pumpkins, and penguins, Luke? I can't speak to calculus, Luke, on a a few levels. (laughs) But I do feel like I can speak to the American English class issue. So as far as why we read critically in English classes, we read critically in English classes so we can learn how to read critically. Because what language can accomplish, in my opinion anyway, is not only what it accomplishes, quote unquote, literally. It's not only like what the story does, it's also what the language does. And we know this if we think about it, because what the story does, quote unquote, literally, or if you read something, quote unquote, literally, you are in fact reading it figuratively because you're reading it wrong. Well, language yeah. is made up of yeah. figures. Yeah, it is There's inherently no, yeah. symbolic. Yes. <laughs> and all language is symbolic. And so what we're trying to do when we read critically is not divine what the author meant 100 years ago. We're trying to divine what the meaning might be for us and how we might have a deeper relationship with language through close reading. And I also don't just don't agree that authors never intend their work to be read closely. Oh, God. I I do not labor under the delusion (laughs) that I am a genius, but I definitely intend my work to be read closely. There are lots of metaphors and symbols and resonances in Mm -hmm. my work that I am hoping that readers will pick up on. But you don't want to go too hard on because then people will be like, oh, I get it, John, I get it. Right. I'm not trying to write Animal Farm, right? Like, yeah. I'm not trying to be like, have the reader be like, man, these pigs are definitely not pigs. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but like, 
I, I, I get frustrated when people are like, why can't we just read for story when reading for story is also a kind mm -hmm. of figurative reading. It's just one kind out of many. And I think personally that reading gets a lot richer and more fulfilling. And the same is true of watching movies, by the way, engaging with any kind of art. Yeah. It gets more fulfilling the, the more able you are to read or listen or watch closely and critically. Uh, I'll answer this question from a, uh, a science major's perspective as a person who's sort of like uh, crossed that bridge later in life into um, into writing and reading and, and thinking about that stuff. It, it, and it is this, how do we teach people the, the complexity of language? How do we teach people to communicate effectively and richly and beautifully? And that's like, that's the hard question. Like that's the hard mm -hmm. question that primary and secondary school teachers are posed with and college professors are posed with. How do you teach a bunch of people to take language seriously? And that's not an easy question. And this is one of the ways that we have figured out how to do it effectively is you, you take a text and you say, this is more than meets the eye. And let's talk about the ways in which it is more than meets the eye. And that not only maybe deepens your relationship with it, but also maybe makes you a more effective communicator. And but, I have to say, becoming a more effective communicator is like a lot of the reason we go to school. Yeah, and in truth, like we can talk all we want about teaching grammar, but when we are teaching critical reading, we are teaching grammar, I think, on a sure. deeper level. Let me give you an example. Like if you learn a sort of, if, if you go to a grammar class, uh, or at least if you went to a grammar class when I was in middle school, <laughs> they might tell you, well, double negatives are wrong. So yeah. you don't say, I can't not do that. Mm -hmm. You would never say that. Yeah. Um, however. It does mean something, actually. Exactly. Yeah. And by the way, if you can hear a lot of noises, it's Hank's chair. I just want to clear, clarify that because it's extremely loud in the room. I don't know if it's loud in the recording. It sounds, it sounds farty. It, it just sounds mostly loud. Um, and continual. Party. I never noticed how much you move inside of a chair a until now. <laughs> but, but, but like the, the thing about a sentence like I cannot not do it is that that means something and it means something other than I can do it. Mm -hmm. And understanding the ways that language can be wielded, the ways that grammar can be wielded to create nuance, to create multiplicity of meaning, that is is actually the work of what grammar actually yeah. does instead of learning grammar rules. Well, yeah, I mean, there's so it's uh, communication is so subtle. Your father-in-law again pointed yes. out at the Thanksgiving dinner table that there is something very different uh, between "I love all of you" and "I love y'all." Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, yeah, and it's just like "I love you all" versus "I love y'all." It means different things. It does. Despite the fact that it's the same sentence. Right. And like, how do I know that? What? And I can't even really closely articulate what it, like the difference in the meanings of those two sentences. But like, yeah. it conveys a very different feeling to me. Yeah. And so that's part of what, that's part of why we try to read these texts deeply. That said, I definitely think there is a risk to that endlessly deep reading. But to yeah. me, the risk isn't that you get too deep. The risk is that you bring your own biases and experiences and cultural milieu into that depth, which can, in some cases, I think, uh, exclude people or work 
from those conversations that shouldn't be excluded. A famous example of this is that I would say one of the best writers of the 20th century probably uh, was Octavia Butler, who wrote uh, Parable of the Sower and Kindred and lots of other books that are now being read in college classes all over the place, but for many years weren't because they didn't meet uh, maybe the expectations of the people who were deciding what kinds of books we should read in what kinds of contexts. Yeah. And so that is definitely a risk, but I don't think that reading deeply is inherently unrewarding. Yep. That's my, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) We'll now allow Hank to do a TED Talk. About what? This question comes from Rebecca, who writes, Dear John and Hank, does the spin of the Earth factor into air travel times, like taking out weather variables like wind direction and speed, if a plane flew along an equator an equal distance in opposite directions, would the flight going against the spin of the Earth get to its destination in less time than the flight going with the spin of the Earth? Spinning right around, Rebecca. Now this, I have no idea what the answer is. It has to be like a, a couple milliseconds at least. There right? isn't. There is an effect. Okay. Um, but basically, no, because the Earth spins, and so does the atmosphere. The atmosphere yeah. spins. Like it's not like the. It's not like you know. You don't like imagine like the Earth sort of like spinning into a storm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not like sort of always crashing into whatever the like the the Earth system. The atmosphere spins right along with it, uh, or else we would all die. Like if the you know, because the wind, if the wind there'd stayed be a 25,000 mile an hour yeah, wind all the time, all the time. Yeah, yeah it, would, would be, it would rip everything off the surface of the earth. So would, that would be a bummer. It does, and so there is an effect, though, because there's Coriolis forces and jet streams and that that are influenced by the spin of the earth. But it's not significant. Um, so, but yes, for space travel, it does matter a lot. Because and once you leave the atmosphere, the Earth's spinning and you, you're spinning around Earth. Because it's not about Earth. going through, it's not really about where you're going on Earth. It's about getting into orbit. And so you do want that speed boost from the spin of the Earth. Oh. So you you have to get going a certain speed before you are in orbit. Mm. Orbit is about speed rather than height. And uh, so that go, so all rockets take off in the direction of the Earth's spin. Oh. Significantly. That's interesting. Uh, more efficient. That's interesting. I read this uh, great book that's half by Alexei Leonov, the guy who took the first uh, spacewalk. Yep. And he wrote about the reasons why he had to, because he had to choose a manual landing site because the automatic landing system failed. Mm -hmm. And he had to choose it. The aircraft was spinning. It was in an uncontrolled spin. And he had to choose it just looking out the little window and like doing geometry Mm -hmm. uh, on on a piece of paper. Yeah. (laughs) And... uh, And he he said he couldn't pick the original landing site. It's not an option. And I've always wondered why that was. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always wondered, like, because he he doesn't really explain it, or at least like the way he explains it in the book didn't make sense to me. Yeah. But I've always wondered why that was. And so he picked, basically, he picked the space in the Soviet Union that he thought would be furthest away from a border, because he did not want his spacecraft ending up in another country. Okay. uh, And then also furthest from a human. Right. Because he didn't want to land, land on, somebody's on somebody's house. house. Yeah. <laughs> then I watched this. Because he's, he's like, look, I'm almost definitely going to die. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Might as well not take anybody with me. Pretty much. Then I watched this uh, Soviet propaganda movie about the flight, and mm-hmm. it's amazing. The best part about it is that they celebrate the return of the cosmonauts by saying not only was this the first manned spacewalk, mm-hmm. this was 
the very first time in the history of space travel that uh, someone has manually landed. Because <laughs> if it was all part of the plan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. We did. <laughs> wow, Russia. <laughs> we keep keep hitting first. We did the one on purpose and we did the one on accident. Yeah. Oh, man. This is the first spacecraft where the uh, <laughs> one of the modules didn't fully eject from the plane so that during re-entry, fortunately, a cable got hot enough to burn off. <laughs> and that's why they didn't die. Uh, All right, Hank, let me yeah. ask you another question about science that I don't know the answer to because I don't understand any part of this question. Uh-huh. Claudia writes, Dear John and Hank, I was talking to my friend about Gabriel's horn. I'm already gone. I'm lost. Do you know what Gabriel's horn is? No, let's, let's keep asking. Maybe I'll remember. We came across a question. If you don't know what Gabriel's horn is, oh, Claudia, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you just came in clutch. It's a theoretically infinitely long horn shaped object that tapers off so that it has an infinitely large surface area and length, but a finite volume. The question is, I can kind of picture this. The question is- It's a big horn. It's a big, well, (laughs) is it a big horn? Because potentially- Well, it's an imaginary big horn. Yeah, potentially isn't isn't it just like, it's a big horn. There's, okay. It's a big horn. Listen, Hank, it is a big horn, but more to the point, it Uh is an infinite horn. And it's important (laughs) that we don't confuse infinity with largeness. So it is it is an infinite horn. It is a boundless horn that has a non-infinite volume because of the taper and you can calculate the volume. Exactly. Yeah. All right. The question is what happens if you were to make a brass instrument called Gabriel's French horn and place someone at the other end of the infinite horn to hear it? Would the sound taper off? Would it be infinitely loud? There'd be air throughout the horn pressurized to 14 psi, which again doesn't actually mean an infinite amount of air. What would happen to us? Don't blow this for us, Claudia. So, so if you blew Gabriel's horn. Yes. Dear Gabriel, I need you to send me your horn because I may or may not be about to destroy a Rax. <laughs> <laughs> you just lay that infinite horn down on the surface of the earth and already we have a problem right because the horn extends out past the sun yeah it well, goes into it just goes it, around it, the earth a bunch of times it's a french horn they go oh, circle oh yeah okay it so it just infinitely goes, circles yeah, the earth an infinite spiral horn yes but and as it ends it, at as it goes it gets larger it doesn't end <laughs> The front it just end. keeps getting there is larger. A front end. The back end that you blow into is the part. That oh, doesn't... that part just keeps getting smaller forever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so by the time it gets like seven hundred revolutions around the Earth, let's say it's like one nanometer in yeah. circumference. Uh-huh, less than that, I'm and sure. then I'm sure much less than that. Yeah. Let's say it's a, a <laughs> fine Hank of a picometer. Let's yeah. say it's a billionth of a. Yeah, it's a plank. It's a plank. One let's plank say it's plank. a plank length. And you have something that somehow has lips small enough. We hire the world's smallest cricket. Just get out. Just the world's smallest cricket. (laughs) It's cheap into it. It just just places its tiny little cricket lips at the end of this infinite horn Mm -hmm. and goes. (laughs) What happens? What happens? Um, I don't see why it doesn't destroy the racks. (laughs) I don't. I don't see the air. The air just kind of that keeps going and going and going and going and going and building and building and building. And then the racks is hit 
by mm-hmm. a C note so intense that yeah. the rax blows off the surface of the earth. Right. That's Which, your theory. Yeah. And Finland might go too. Oh, I was thinking the rax in Ohio. Oh, well, geez, that's really close to here. Great point. We should go with the rax in Finland. <laughs> <laughs> no reason. Uh, my, my child is in Indiana right now. I'm not going to blow anything up with a, an infinite horn in Ohio. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Finland, good father. Finland, on the other hand, I mean, those forget those kids. <laughs> oh, God. What would happen if you blew Gabriel's horn? Look, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I, just to state the obvious, me neither. All right, Hank, listen. Yeah. Our listeners solved one of the great mysteries of the 21st century, mm. which is what happens when you're standing on a scale and right. you've got a bucket of water on a scale and you stick your hand in the bucket of water. Yeah, it's a, a, counterintuitively, you get less, your scale weighs less. And the water scale weighs more. Yeah. I I think that our listeners can solve the problem of what happens if you blow Gabriel's horn at a rax in Finland. Yeah. But I, I don't think Hank and I can. No. Well, the thing is, the hole, if it's infinite, if the hole is infinitely small, mm-hmm. would the noise be infinitely loud? Would the pressure wave be infinitely strong? That's my question. Because I don't understand how physics of horns works. But if that's the case, yeah, then yeah, you destroy the earth. I guess the other question, though, is if the hole is infinitely small, can you even get a tiny little cricket? No, definitely not. All right. So yeah. then so then we can't. So right. There's then, a number of, of practical concerns. So then we can't blow Gabriel's horn. Well, obviously, you can't create infinite power either. So can't, this, you can't? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, I sounded like... That was even worse than me thinking, All right, okay. I can start 12 businesses in three months. I know, yeah, that might have been even more annoying. What if, <laughs> okay, all right, I'm going to throw this out there in case this whole Gabriel's horn thing won't work at all mm-hmm. because you can't get a tiny cricket on the end of it. Right. But what if, Hank, you had a cricket go into the top of Gabriel's horn and go around the earth 72 times until it was a very, very, very small horn, not quite infinite? Solving a problem. Then it's just a horn. Yeah, but if but if it's a close to infinite horn, there's nothing. There's nothing. There, clo- there is no close to infinite. You're you're right, man. I'm sorry. I was thinking about infinite as big again, not a, not as boundlessness. It's very hard to not. It's very okay. It's very, Oren says affinity instead of infinity. Yeah, it's pretty cute. Yeah, he, I heard you, that. You asked him the other day how much he loved you, and he said a hundred. Yeah, which is a lot. And then I said, how much do you love your dad? And he said affinity. Yeah, and I was like. Screw you, Orange. <laughs> I'm out here trying every day. Yeah. Sending you text messages. Yeah. Although I did it the other day. He was talking to his mom about how much he loved her. I'm just kidding, by the way. I was thrilled to be loved 100. Uh, I feel and like Orin and I have had a real breakthrough. He said, affinity, Google, affinity, Google, affinity, Google, mm-hmm. affinity, Google, affinity, mm-hmm. Google. So, like, I'm not even close. Yeah. that's. A, I mean, that is a big difference, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, except... I know math enough to know that actually there's no difference. Well, yeah, if you'd been like infinity and I. Yeah. And pi. Right. And I would have been like, Warren, infinity is boundlessness. It's not a large number. Come on. Oh, man. We went to uh, a cemetery. We went to Crown. I took Hank to Crown Hill Cemetery, of course. Like, where else am I going to take? I love. You've probably seen the episode already. It's the best cemetery in America. And. 
I took Hank there and we came across, we didn't talk about this in the video, but we came across uh, a headstone and the two people are still alive. So we felt like we couldn't right. totally drag them. But they, their headstone, one, it stated their, like, po- political beliefs, yeah, yeah. which I just, I, I mm-hmm. don't think you should have on your headstone, even if you are a president. Like, President Benjamin Harrison. We went is, to his grave. He's buried at Crown Hill Cemetery, and nowhere does it say, like, his political party yeah. or, like, how he felt about tariffs, right? Like. <laughs> Because it's his grave, okay? That's not the place for the argument. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't like Benjamin Harrison. Cancel culture sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because those are just going to date terribly. Yeah. And you just, and and you're potentially going to alienate. It's almost done as starting a whole university based on that idea. Okay. I mean, certainly uh, Headstone is cheaper. Um, (laughs) We don't need to get into the mental gymnastics that people have to undergo to look at the state of higher education in the United States and think, you know what I think would solve this problem. (laughs) But anyway, uh, this person or or people, it's a couple, uh, when they stated their political beliefs on their headstone, and they're not even dead yet, I just feel like... Isn't the whole point of having a headstone that you hope people walk by and spare you a good thought? Well, you're you're telling at least fifty percent of people I'm not like you. Yeah. you would, we 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 might not have agreed on some pretty core stuff. <laughs> but then, you yeah. want to tell the full story about the quote? What was the quote? The quote was outside of a book. Oh my God! The quote was outside of a dog. A man's best friend is a book. And that was it. That was the whole quote. That was the whole quote. It was attributed correctly to Groucho Marx. Mm -hmm. But the quote didn't tell... It's half of a joke. The joke. It's half of a great joke. It's a joke. The joke is outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. That's the joke! (laughs) You can't have the first half of the joke I mean, on your tombstone. I think maybe you can. What? What? The problem is that it makes it. It's. It's like. It makes it seem like oh, that's not a very good quote. It's just not like it doesn't really stand on its own. The good part is if you know the joke, then right. you're like, hey. Yeah, yeah. I guess if you know the joke, then you you feel like you're but in the know. But it's a tombstone. It's a hundred years from now. Yes. Who's going to remember this Groucho Marx joke? Whereas if you include the whole joke, a hundred years from now, somebody might discover a new Groucho Marx joke, yeah. you know? Oh, God. Like, you could be the one who preserves that Groucho Marx joke for future generations. I have to tell you, at the cemetery, there among all of the people, there was like six six of us there. Yeah. Among all the people, we, uh, we talked a lot about what we would like John Green's gravestone to be like, and nobody talked about their own graves at all. I didn't find that to be the case at all. I felt like... I, I mean, first off, I wasn't with you guys. Oh. So if you were talking about my gravestone, I wasn't listening. You were in the car afterward, too. No, I was like walking around looking at gravestones. Yeah. Um, I feel like mom gave us hyper-specific instructions. Oh, I'm glad you were paying attention. Yeah, mom was like, I want... Uh, what are she those wants little plastic flowers. Plastic flowers and those little whirly gigs. What uh, are those yeah, called? Pinwheels. Pinwheels. She yeah. wants pinwheels and she wants the pinwheel to be functioning. In a, the shape of a wreath. 
at all well. times yeah. for eternity. <laughs> and I was like, Mom, I, I don't know if I can make that promise. Like, look, look, we're going to work real hard on material science. We're going to create self-healing pinwheels. I feel like we didn't talk about your gravestone because you're probably not going to be buried at Crown Hill. Unless no. I can talk you into it. I don't know. I'm definitely getting buried in Missoula. That's unfortunate. Sorry. I would love to see you at Crown Hill someday. I mean... <laughs> I mean, long after I go. This man works for the cemetery. Long after I go, You should get commissions. I should. Yeah. I I, want to go first just so I can see your grave, because I feel like you're going to do a great job. Well, first off, I'm offended by your idea that if you die first, you'll get to see my gravestone. That's not what I meant. (laughs) I want you to die first. Okay. For a lot of different reasons. Yeah, I don't want me to die first, too. Believe me. It's the right, it's the appropriate way of things. I should die first. Yeah. And then you, you know what, Hank, we've got exactly three years early. Sorry, we have to interrupt this conversation for an advertisement. (laughs) Okay, well, it reminds me that this podcast is brought to you by Crown Hill Cemetery. (laughs) Crown Hill Cemetery, at the very top, you find a guy that nobody remembers. It's James Wickham Riley, and he's at the very top. And people remember him. He wrote Little Orphan Annie. Oh, sure. I've heard of that. But, I mean... Does he need to be at the very, very top, top of the hill? Benjamin Harrison is at the bottom of the hill. The president. Yeah, I mean, I've often thought, and I don't want to get too into my own thinking about my own gravestone, Hank, because uh-huh. like this has been the Hank is egotistical episode, and I'm not looking to <laughs> I'm not looking to like shift it back. Shift it back. Mm-hmm. But as you know, Hank, all I want is to be buried on top of James Wickham Riley. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Put me at the bottom of the hill. Bury me with the people. Um, Today's podcast is also brought to you by the Salzburg murders. The Salzburg murders, the events that immediately preceded my burial at Crown Hill Cemetery. (laughs) This podcast podcast is also brought to you by Gabriel's Horn. Gabriel's Horn, (laughs) the cause of the end of all of our lives. Potentially. Potentially. We're not sure, but it could 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 be be how we all go. Um, that's going to be terrible for the funeral industry. <laughs> I think it would be good because so many people died. No, but no, no. you got to have some left. Yeah. And of course, today's podcast is brought to you by the specter of death. The specter of death. Wow. I, it's just been, it's been all over this episode. I don't know what it is about us being together. Well, it's always there. It's always there. I'm just glad, <laughs> I'm just glad that our comedy podcast about death is about death again. <laughs> really? Yeah, we brought it back. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look. 
there are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming and I'm like, I'm going to have to say doc, ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and ASU Wimbledon, let's answer this question from Veronica, who writes, Dear John and Hank, in their song, What's My Age Again? 1999. Oh, God, what? I'm sorry, Veronica. What did you just try to imply? Did you try to imply that Blink-182's song, What My Age Again, can drink? <laughs> <laughs> what my age again <laughs> blink 182 said that nobody likes you when you're 23 yeah is this true and if so is there anything we can do to avoid it or do we just have to wait until we're 24 only two months left of being 22 veronica i thought this might be a good uh question for you hank since you once sent blink 182 lyrics for a song that you thought they should record look I have a strong, healthy opinion of myself. Um, <laughs> first of all, as a as a historian of the lyrics of Blink-182 songs, it's nobody likes you when you're 23 and you still act like you're in freshman year. That's it. This is the, That's this a is, critical yeah. observation. Nobody likes it when you're 23 and you act like you're 18 or 14. That isn't yeah. defined. Yeah. And I think... That is common. Nobody liked me when I was 23 because I acted like I was 14. Nobody liked me when I was 23 because regardless, being 23 actually does quite suck. It's I really think, hard. Yeah, I think that it's 23 hard. is one of the hardest times, especially if you did like high school straight into college and now you're 23 and you're graduated and it's like, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. And there's always an <clears throat> there's there's this weird thing happening simultaneously, which is that all things are possible. Like you, your life could go in a ton of different directions, which is exciting, but also uh, terrifying and yeah. overwhelming and yeah. it's difficult to. And, and, and there's a sadness. I felt this sadness in knowing 
in thinking that like, well, my life is gonna have to go one way, yeah, which means it's not gonna go. I all have to these mourn other ways. for all the other choices I don't make. For I got other friends I don't follow the, for like yeah. all the other places I don't live. Yeah, and a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times, your core relationships are either like not yet set or at least not yet super strong. And they're and they're in flux. And yeah, the older I get, the more convinced I become. That core, foundational, interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. is the the meaning of life. It is it is both like why we are here mm-hmm. and what we are here for mm-hmm. is to like take care of each other. Mm-hmm. Like I've become a little bit of a von Nagetian humanist in the sense that I I I do believe that you care for people in your caress, like people who come into your sphere of being mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Like in my case, my children and my friends in Indianapolis, but also, you know, like my friend Shannon who lives in Chicago and my brother who lives in Montana and other people who are mm-hmm. kind of in that extended network of people like I care about. Like tonight we're having over uh the great writer Ashley Ford um, and her husband, Kelly Stacy, and I consider them to be in this, um, right. you know, this like extended family isn't the right word. That's what I like about the Vonnegut word, Karas, like th- this extended group of people right. that I have. And when I was 23, I kind of had that, but there were a lot of fragile relationships. There mm. were a lot of relationships that like blew apart spectacularly. Yeah. They were un- they were unstable, yes. uncertain Yes. Yeah. They ran very hot and, it's fun. and very cold. It, it can was, be fun in the way in the way that, that jumping a, off of a cliff can be fun. Right. In the way that like a roller coaster is fun, but you're barfing. Yeah. And you're and it's more fun. Like well, somebody depends on the person. Some people are like that roller coaster was great. That's true. What well, I we, felt like for me, it was not that way. What I felt like is I was on a roller coaster and I was seated next to an old person who was kind of like shouting at me the whole time we were on the roller coaster that if I didn't like this, I was never going to like anything about being alive because I was young. this is the best part. Exactly. I was young. You're on a roller coaster right now. Why are you complaining? I was healthy and I could like go and stay out late and party and I didn't have any responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting over there being like, this roller coaster won't end, and I can't stop barfing. And it's a I, I, I and it's a real it. it's a real bummer for me yeah. when you tell me that this is as good as it gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have I have since had um, moments when like peers have looked back on that time and been or, or looked back at people that age and have said, "Oh my god, I I like I'm so jealous of them right now." And I'm like, I do not mm-mm, mm-mm. relate. Mm-mm, mm-mm. They do not relate. Um, but. Um, it is hard and I, and, and like, that's the age where I worry, kind of worry about people the most, like, yeah. like 22 to 26 is Or really even like tough. to 32. I don't yeah. know. I don't stop worrying. I mean, cause eventually you do start to settle into yeah. adulthood, but it takes, it takes a while. I don't know. For me, it took a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think about the, uh, the 23 year olds and I hope they're doing all right. And it's, it's gotta be a weird, weird time to be 23. So our thoughts are with you, and we don't have any solutions, but we do like you. And we think people who don't like you, frankly, are not doing a good job of paying attention to how hard it is to be you right now. But don't act like you're 14. All these things are true at the same time. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The the trick is to be confident at a time when you have few reasons to be. Which, which I'm good at, and despite that, uh, still had a terrible 23rd year. Maybe the worst of my life. Oh, I mean, it's definitely the worst of my life. Yeah.
High five, bro. Not even, uh, not even, I can't even come up with a close second. I mean, seventh grade was terrible. Yeah. Um, But, oh, man, it was brutal. So. uh, I got albums I can't even listen to. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. From that year. I I was really well taken care of that year by my cousin Lisa, our cousin Lisa, Uh and her husband Eric, who are two of the best people you could have take care of you in a situation like that. And I remember they would like come and pick me up and take me to like play volleyball with them. They'd like come and pick me up and like time Mm -hmm. and time and time again, even though I gave nothing in that relationship (laughs) except for like dark. You did get out of bed. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. I I was dark and brooding and, you know, (laughs) completely oblivious to everyone else's problems. And they were incredibly kind to me. So also remember the people who are kind to you when, when you were 23. Okay, Hank. Yes. Let's get to the news from AFC Wimbledon. Speaking of um, very young people who are being forced to make adult-style life decisions, how about AFC Wimbledon squad? (laughs) (laughs) So the news this week from AFC Wimbledon is that Wimbledon tied 2-2 against Fleetwood. It started off very promisingly. We gave up a goal (laughs) in the 35th minute. Fleetwood's one of the worst teams in the league. They are one of the worst teams in the league. But... So are we. Uh, they gave We gave up a goal in the 35th minute, and I was like, I, I think I tweeted, right where we want them. And yeah. sure enough, we uh, then, Ayub Asal scored a beautiful goal in the 53rd minute, and then Luke McCormick scored another fantastic goal. Both of our goals looked really, really good in the 79th minute. And then we just gave up a cheap, stupid, easy goal off of a set piece in the 84th minute. It was super frustrating. Mm-hmm. You know, the story of the match, if you look at the stats, it, these are similar teams. Of the bad teams, I think Fleetwood is probably the best. They have the lowest goal. They have the best goal difference of any of the teams around them. They actually have played fewer games than most of the teams around them. So, like, I don't think Fleetwood is quite as bad as their record. Uh, I, I don't think that we are quite quite as bad as our record. But at any rate, uh, now we have 21 points after 18 games, and mm. we are in 17th place, which if the season stopped tomorrow, I would be delighted with. Yeah, but the last two games you had... Yeah, well, we won the last one, and then we tied this one. Yeah, we I'm barely. Just they were both against very. I know, and if we could have won this game, then suddenly we would have been up yeah. among the, uh, you know, the like mid again fifteenth, and that's where I start to feel better. Right, but everybody's very tightly packed this season. It is very, very tightly packed. I mean, right now, in fact, if Wimbledon were to win the game that they have in hand, like they have played fewer games than oh, the teams above them, yeah. if they were to win that game, we would, uh, I think, be in 13th place, like wow. right in the middle of League One. So, But who's that against? Um, It's against somebody good. Yeah, I can't remember who, but You'll they're get a, good. Do you get a point when you lose? You get a point when you tie. Oh, you get nothing when you lose. No, no points when you lose. One point when you tie, three points when you win. Well, and this week in Mars News, um, the, the Perseverance's twin rover has been put to work. Uh, it's called the Operation Perseverance Twin for Integration of Mechanisms and Instruments Sent to Mars. Nice. Which spells? Well, I just, I'm sorry, I got lost one third of the way through that initialism it because it's too long. Optimism. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I could have gotten that with a hundred guesses. So that's the that's the rover that is that is its twin here on Earth, and okay. the purpose is to help scientists test out commands that they will be sending to Percy right. in the future, right. and help them uncover potential problems that it might deal with. So of course, there's a fake Mars 
calls the Mar called the Mars Yard. Oh yeah, uh, at, up at the Jet Propulsion Lab for that purpose, complete with boulders and Martian scenery. The Mars Yard has been used to test out other rover twins in the past, and for optimism, it's been a useful site to see how it handles digging samples out of boulders and storing them, like Perseverance has been doing on Mars. And optimism first went to work. Uh, in the Mars Yard in September of 2020, the rover recently got some key upgrades to make its sampling and storing capabilities and navigation systems more like the Perseverance's systems. And the Optimism has been performing well, successfully drilling a core and navigating autonomously through the yard. You may have heard that it had a little Percy had a little trouble. Yeah, with one the of core, its core, core digging. Yeah, didn't know really what happened, but the right. sample didn't get into the container. Right. So they've upgraded Optimism to make sure that they have a better model for how exactly all that goes down. Okay. Yeah. And, and they did get the second. Core. They did get the second one. They used. A, they had a softer, easier rock. Okay, but they want to get those. They want to. They want to know what's racks. going on. They want to know a lot of different rocks. They basically want to know what's going on. What, how how they ended up with a, a sample vial full of air, <laughs> <laughs> which which was. On the list of things they wanted to collect. Yeah. So, hey. So they got it. Yeah. Yeah. It was on the list. <laughs> you know. That, that wasn't what they, that wasn't the one that they wanted that time, but <laughs> it did get a sample jar full of air. Well, well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. And thanks to everybody for listening. It is such a joy to pod with you in person. Like not enough of a joy to fly to Missoula, but a joy. I mean, if we did it like this all the time, we could have a video podcast. Oh yeah. That's, ugh. then I would have to like put on pants. You are you are wearing a kind of pant. Hank, don't ruin don't ruin the image. Well, I but I said a kind of pant, so now now the image is really all over the place. That's true. It's I'm wearing a jean. They're not jorts. They're no. the capri pant version of jeans. Don't lie, John. You're wearing awesome socks, but they're like extra long. You got them special made just for you. They go all the way up. <laughs> yeah, they're called tights. <laughs> <laughs> they're called they're they're yeah. called all the way up socks. Yeah, no, we're getting. And I into just that. invented them. We're... My new business. It's one of the twelve I'm going to start in the next three months. That's right. That's right. We're getting into the leggings business, and I'm wearing our prototype. It's a it's an exciting multi level marketing opportunity, Hank. Yes, it is. It's a lot. I will say it's a lot. You're going to love them. Um, you're going to love them so much that you're going to want to sell them and then sign other people up to sell them who sign other people up to sell them. <laughs> you're going to buy so many because we're going to make you buy so many. Why have we never gotten into the MLM world, John? I don't think it's for Maybe us. Maybe it's because we're it's not for us. No. I don't, I don't think it's for us, Hank. I just, I, I, the vibe's off. The vibe does seem to be off. Look, they smell bad because they're because they're very moldy. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Chakravarty. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the Greek Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be, be awesome. awesome.